great reed which bends in the wind is stronger than the mighty oak which breaks in a storm. Confucius. When I first heard this quote, I instantly thought about the Russian government and how rigid it is and controlling it is. It's like a mighty oak which is firm and unwielding against the desires of its people, purely acting on its own self-interest. It's interesting to think about what will happen to Russia when it experiences a storm stronger than ever. Hello, this is Countries and Controversies. My name is Sarah Cosme, and even though I would love to travel to Europe, traveling to Russia makes me nervous because it seems too cold there. My name is Arshika Yalavarti. And actually, I've always wanted to travel to Russia and eat Russian food. It's certainly an underappreciated cuisine. I know you want to talk about the social movements in Russia to give an overview of the social controversies. Yes, civil society restrictions make social movements in Russia difficult to coordinate, but organizers persist in the face of discrimination. In response to gay propaganda laws, LGBTQ activists have taken a number of steps including holding gay pride parades for which they were denied permits, protest marches that were repressed, internet memes of Putin as a clown that were banned in 2017, and litigation at European Court of Human Rights which ruled that the gay propaganda laws are discriminatory. Women's rights groups work to improve protections against domestic violence and improve working conditions and salaries. With all of the progress in the world, this sounds so backwards. Sure it is. Russian citizenship is acquired through birth in the Russian Federation or to a Russian citizen or through the process of naturalization. As Russia's population growth rate is declining, the economy relies on migrant labor from former Soviet states such as Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, and Kazakhstan. Many Russians resent these immigrants, however, and a poll recorded that 66% of Russians want tighter visa controls. The government's response has been limited because of the economic necessity of hiring migrant workers in many industries. Wow, what about the electoral system? There's much debate about the election system in Russia. In order to understand the state of elections in Russia, one must comprehend Vladimir Putin and his approach to politics. You make it sound very suspicious. Listen to what I have to say, and you would too. Let's go back in history to identify the roots of election systems in Russia. First, we need to understand how United Russia became a dominant party in Russia. The 1993 constitution guarantees the right to a multi-party system. Early elections in the Russian Federation involved over 100 different political parties organized to support specific individuals. Boris Yeltsin, was not able to generate majority support for his policies in the state Duma because of the fragmentation in parties. In the elections of 1993, 95, and 99, more than 10 separate parties won seats in the state Duma along with over 100 individuals winning single-member district seats. 
In addition, the party coalitions continued to shift with only a few strong parties competing across elections. These parties were Communist Party of the Russian Federation, the Liberal Democrats, and the Yabloko. All right, I understand all of that, but what does this have to do with Putin? The parliamentary elections of 1999 first saw the creation of a non-ideological pro-Putin party called Unity. Putin's strong handling of the Second Chechen War and his position as acting president in 2000 after the resignation of Boris Yeltsin also solidified his credentials. Once president, Putin rushed through the increased regulations, making it more difficult to qualify as a national political party and as a candidate. But the, the major electoral changes came in response to the terrorist attack on a school in Beslan, after which Putin centralized power by ending the direct election of um, regional leaders and eliminating the SNP seats for the state Duma, replacing it with multi-member proportional um, representation seats with a threshold of 7% in 2007 elections. This election system resulted in United Russia winning a majority of the seats in the state Duma as the first party to do so. That's definitely interesting, but what's so controversial about it? Russia has a prime minister and a president. As there is no vice president in the Russian system, when a president resigns, as Yeltsin did in 1999, the prime minister becomes the acting president until elections can be held three months later. Acting President Putin made it clear that he wanted to win a first-round victory. He accomplished the goal with a 53% of the vote. In the 2004 election, it was so clear that Putin was going to win that his perennial challengers didn't even compete. Instead, they had others run in their place. However, some candidates such as Gregory Yavlinsky and Dmitry Mezensev did attempt to run, but many of the signatures needed for applications were considered fraudulent by the Central Election Commission the Russian Constitution limits the president to two consecutive terms, so in 2008, Putin selected Dmitry Medvedev to be his successor, and he became a prime minister instead. While prime minister, Putin had the presidential term of office extended from four years to six years, and then announced in 2011 that he and Medvedev were going to change places with Putin running for president for the third term, and Medvedev becoming prime minister. Many young urban Russians were dismayed by this announcement and voted against United Russia in the parliamentary elections held in December of 2011. But Putin's party won a majority of the seats in the Duma in a blatantly rigged election. Large protests followed the election and were suppressed for the fear of them leading to anti-government protests, uprisings, and armed rebellions. United Russia easily took a dominant role in, le in the legislature, but saw a loss of seats in 2011 because of public protests over Putin Medvedev executive switch. Putin easily won the re-election in 2012, however, and put heavy fines for unauthorized protests. 
Changes were also made to reinstate the original 1993 mixed election system for the 2016 Duma elections along with renewing direct elections for regional leaders. But the damage has been done to opposition parties. Only pro-Kremlin parties won seats in 2016, with the United Russia easily dominating elections at all levels. Putin was also re-elected in 2018. To what extent does this impact the legitimacy? Russia is an authoritarian regime. It relies on manipulation of elections, suppression of the opposition, state control of media to use it as a propaganda mouthpiece, and restrictions on NGOs as foreign agents to maintain control. The protests reduce the legitimacy of the government, but it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things. Traditional legitimacy in Russia has frequently been found in the support of, the, of a strong leader. Consistently in polls, Russians select Putin and Stalin as the most outstanding people in world history. In addition, Putin has closely associated himself with Russian Orthodox Patriarch Kirill to gain national legitimacy and to develop a charismatic cult of personality about his leadership. Putin also relies on rational legal legitimacy as the constitutionally elected president of Russia. He even abided by its two-term limit by becoming prime minister from 2008 to 2012. The fact that Putin retained his control on power, even when he was not president, however, is reflective of the arbitrary nature of his regime. Earlier, you mentioned rigged elections. Could you elaborate on that? Yes, there's limited political participation in Russia as citizens have low political efficacy in their ability to remove elected officials by voting. In 2016 Duma elections, voter turnout was 47%, down from an average of 65%. As elites enable a corrupt patron-client system of governance, average Russians don't feel to participate politically. The government mobilizes pro-government rallies and organizes pro-government youth groups to present the illusion of a participatory democracy. Anti-government protests are well organized by using social media tools, but activists such as blogger Alexei Navalny and his anti-corruption foundation face arrest and repression. A campaign in March 2017 by Navalny to attack the corruption of Prime Minister Medvedev with the video in YouTube resulted in mass protests across Russia, the largest since the election protests of 2011 and 12. Many of the participants were under 25 and many were arrested. These protests are Put down with force. In 2019, police used force and detained over 1,400 protesters in Moscow who demonstrated against the rejection of government uh, by government authorities of opposition candidates for local elections. Yup, I was just going to talk about that. Alexei Navalny has been causing a commotion in Russia recently. Navalny is a blogger turned politician. He rose to prominence thanks to his blog on which he exposed corruption by Russian officials. According to Politico, his anti-corruption foundation also published reports on high-level misconduct, and he later broadened his audience by starting a YouTube channel, 
which has more than 4 million subscribers. Among the subjects of his investigations were very prominent members of the Russian government, and these social media accounts are also especially popular with younger people. He's one of those older people who can still speak with teenagers in a way that connects. So is he pretty much a very outspoken journalist then? Not really. I would say more like an activist with some political ambitions. CNN described how he joined the Yavloko, or the Russian United Democratic Party. He was later kicked out of that party due to his nationalistic ideologies. After that, he launched the National Russian Liberation Movement, which emphasized anti-immigration sentiments greatly. It was during this time especially that he started to use his social media accounts to expose corruption of those in the Russian government, who he called crooks and criminals. The Daily Free Press describes how one example, one of his most popular videos exposed Putin's palace, a luxurious estate near the Black Sea which costed billions of dollars and was allegedly bought by Putin's rich associates with bribe money. It reached millions of views on YouTube. I can't imagine that this made the Russian government happy. You would be absolutely right. The Russian government is known for its tight control over the press. It hates it when anyone or any media source speaks negatively about the Russian government to its people. And as the Russian government is a non-democratic regime, it puts a lot of emphasis on control as a way to ensure that people don't challenge them. If you don't inform people of the wrongdoings of the government, they won't even be aware of anything going wrong. And if they are unaware of anything going wrong, then they won't protest, complain, or make a scene. So Navalny bringing light to the government corruption in Russia was obviously not something that would put him in Putin's or the Russian government's good books. Alright, that's his work as a blogger. What about his work as an activist? Navalny has organized lots of protests. The New Yorker described how some 6,000 people came out in central Moscow to protest suspected fraud in the parliamentary elections, and the authorities rounded up almost 300 people, and among them was Navalny. In response to the arrest, hundreds of people protested through the night in front of one of the police precincts, where it was rumored Navalny was being held. They were trying to force the police to let his lawyer in to see them. He was imprisoned for 15 days for defying a government official, according to the New Yorker. Wow, that sounds intense. Were there any other protests that he organized? Yep, the BBC described how in 2012, Navalny organized protests in response to Putin's victory. Like you described, there were lots of allegations of voting fraud. The BBC described how Golos, a leading Russian independent election watchdog, said it had received more than 3,000 reports of voting fraud. There were reports of something called carousel voting, in which voters were being sent between polling stations so they could cast multiple ballots, and also of people being paid to vote for Putin. In response to these protests, BBC went on to describe how the police in Russia made 550 arrests after the protest against the Putin's election as president. And the leader of that protest was Navalny, and he was also among one of those people who was being held. 
In his protests, he's also known for urging Russians to unite to take down Putin, something that's very dangerous. Is there any demographic group that seems aligned with Navalny? Navalny has the young generation on his side. According to OVD-Info, an independent activist group that tracks arrests at Russian protests, around 4,000 people have been arrested in protests supporting Navalny so far, including around 1,500 in Moscow. And many of these are young people who have come to protests in masses to voice their displeasure, causing the Russian government to be concerned. Again, you can see evidence of the generation gap in regards to political ideology, as we saw in China and the UK. Older people want stability and peace. They just want to carry on with their lives like normal, while the younger generation want a democracy and fair representation in government. Also, the younger generation is a lot more accessible for Navalny. As I mentioned before, Navalny is very active on his social media accounts. So when he's able to use his social media accounts to spread his ideology, it's the younger generation that's very, e that's very easily able to connect with that and to absorb that information. While older generations might be a bit more out of touch with these new social media apps, so they're not as in touch as the younger generation is. All right, we've covered his role as a blogger and an activist. What has Navalny, the politician, done? Well, one notable thing he did in Russian politics was becoming the leader of a new political party, which was started by his allies. This political party is called the Progress Party. The Independent describes this party as a centrist party that emphasizes pro-democracy issues, such as getting the media out of government control. I'm sure that the Russian government was far from thrilled about this. You would be right. There were countless obstacles placed by the administration when it came to registering this party. It makes sense, of course. Russia is a country that really values control. And when you have the most outspoken critics of the government forming a new party in order to participate in Russian politics, of course that would be a cause for concern. If they would get into power, then they would be able to change the government setup. I could definitely see why that would be a problem. How far has this Progress Party gone? Well, under the Progress Party, Navalny attempted to challenge Putin for president. However, as described by NPR, after a year spent campaigning, Navalny was denied registration as a candidate for the 2018 presidential election. Then, he tried to run for mayor of Moscow, challenging the incumbent. The incumbent was able to avoid runoff elections, but Navalny still performed shockingly well. According to The Guardian, he won 27% of the vote, which is practically unheard of for opposition candidates in Russia. However, this wasn't enough to please Navalny, as he refused to recognize the results in Moscow, arguing that vote falsifications and violations had allowed the incumbent to avoid the runoff. Now, even though Navalny didn't win, this was still very, very much a big deal for him, because this election for Moscow's mayor did put him in the spotlight even more. Even more people were paying attention to what he was saying and to his difficulties and to his um, complaints against the Russian government. 
I've been seeing a lot about Navalny on the news. What's going on with him recently? Wasn't he jailed and poisoned? Oh my goodness, Navalny has been jailed almost a dozen times by now. We could possibly have an entire episode based on that. But just to keep it brief, I think it'd be a good idea to focus on two instances in which Navalny was imprisoned. In 2014, Navalny was convicted of financial crimes. The Guardian describes how both Naval Alexei Navalny and his brother Oleg were found guilty of stealing 30 million rubles from the French cosmetics company Yves Rocher. The court gave Alexei a suspended sentence for fraud. His brother Oleg was jailed for three and a half years for the same offense. Now, his most recent arrest was due to him breaking the house arrest for the previous sentence that I mentioned. This was just a few months ago. It happened as soon as Navalny returned to Russia last month after surviving a suspected assassination attempt by the Russian government late August with poison. The Guardian described how the Russian prison officials had said that while Navalny recovered in Germany, they would seek to jail him for violating parole in the 2014 case in order to keep the critic in exile, but still Navalny returned in order to pursue his agenda. That sounds terrifying. Yep, but that's what happens in NDRs like Russia. This whole scenario with Navalny has caused a lot of instability. Here, you have a person who literally tells Russians everything that the government does not want to be out in the open. He talks about the government being corrupt, elections being rigged. He urges Russians to unite against Putin. He organizes huge protests with thousands of Russians absorbing his words. Of course, this causes domestic instability. Additionally, when a government has such a tight grip on the media as Russia does, to the extent that the media is government-run, then the public is obviously exposed to an extremely positive, extremely one-sided view of the government. So when Navalny verbally attacks the Russian government, not only is he causing instability, but he's also threatening the legitimacy of the government by calling their actions into question. In the US, we're very used to people questioning the government all the time, but in Russia, Doing so, so loudly and so publicly, is something very bold and very dangerous. Wow, that's very intense. Well, that's all for today. This is Countries and Controversies, signing off.